now, it's time for... No, I don't live in my parents' basement. A show that covers comics, movies, music, pop culture, and everything in between. Here's your host, B.J. Kennard and Adam Dellinger. And welcome to the show. It has been a hot second uh, since we have done an episode. Uh, reason being, first go-round was the hurricane. We had a hurricane come through our area, so then we couldn't do it that week, and then timing got us right after that, so finally we're able to do it this week, because sometimes that's just the nature of the beast. We should say no negative effects from the hurricane. It just yeah. uh, threw us off our schedule for a little while. It did, you know, but because, uh, you know, we do this, or this originates out of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would have watched uh, CNN or Fox or the Weather Channel, uh, it looked like doom and gloom was coming to everywhere the hurricane was going to be. But when you're on the local level, your local meteorologist, so we got a great one here. His name is Ed Piotrowski. We're going to have him on the podcast at some point. Really keeps it real. So to us, it's not as scary going through it because we get the real information and not the sensationalized stuff. And I appreciate that. Yep. Yeah. So that's why we haven't been on for a little bit. I even got a couple of emails going, hey, you guys uh, still doing your thing? Yes. Uh, and uh, starting back with some news that broke today. I don't know if you've seen this or not. Have you seen about Kevin Feige, the producer of Marvel? No. So Kevin Feige is uh, doing a deal uh, with his parent company, uh, who he works for, which is Disney, and uh, he is teaming up with Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy to usher in a new era in Star Wars storytelling. That's how they're presenting this. They're going to develop together a brand new Star Wars film. Completely unrelated, I I believe, but did you also see George Lucas spoke out in an interview Late last week or early this week, once again, my timing's completely thrown off now. He has not been pleased with any of the Star Wars movies since, well, the Star Wars movies that he made. And it's almost like a, he comes across as old man, get off my lawn. Mm -hmm. I want to stand up for George Lucas, though, and say that once you have a vision for something, it's going to be hard for anybody to stay on course with what your vision was. I mean, there's obvious reasons for that. But also, when you sell your deal for over a billion dollars yeah you're not really allowed to speak anymore is that true it is true Uh, but back to the feige thing i'm sorry well no we can stay on that for half a second here because star wars empires and return of the jedi are their own thing right i think everyone agrees with that and then you've got the first three you've got i don't i don't even remember what the heck uh, they're even called these days because the attack of the clones that's the second one what was the first one the first the first star wars with anakin and Qui-Gen. What's that thing called? Because A New Hope is number three. A Phantom Menace? A Phantom Menace, yes. Yeah, yeah, Phantom Menace. I'm and sorry, then, I went dead for And that's okay. I couldn't think of it at all. And then what was the third one? The one where Darth Vader becomes Darth Vader. Is that right? What's Rise, Rise, Rise of, of the, the Sith? Sith? Yeah, Rise of the Sith. Yeah. So I, I think most people agree those three are not as good as the original three. Then I think if you talk to a regular Star Wars fan, when The Force Awakens came out... I put that way above those three movies. And honestly, I would put it above just from the way it works and rolls and all that. I'll put The Force Awakens above the original three Star Wars films as well at this point because from a visual perspective, they're just better. From an acting perspective, they're just better. Uh, But that's, you know, George directs a certain way. J.J. Abrams directs a certain way. Then the second one of the new trilogy comes out by Ryan Johnson I don't even think that that movie should not even be in the conversation. I don't like that movie very much at all. Uh, well, I, okay, hang on. Because we have to be very careful here that we're subjective from a 
critical film standpoint, if we're going to be critical, okay. all right? Let me give you an example of two dark movies made nearly a decade apart, all right? Heathers. Yep. And Natural Born Killers. Okay. They're not in the same vein, but they are very... They're almost dark satire, Okay, right? Yeah. They're both sort of in that sort of vein. Mm-hmm. No, I think Heathers is meant more as a comedy than Natural Born Killers is. Uh, y- yeah, fair point. But I think they're both satire also. Yeah. It- it's easy to say that Natural Born Killers is a better film than Heathers, like just for what it is on mm-hmm. the standpoint that be- the acting's better, it- it's shot better, it aesthetically is more pleasing. You can do the same way. Same thing with the Star Wars movies. But Natural Born Killers and Heathers don't live in the same universe. Uh, okay, that's true, too. Uh, then we can say a Creed. Okay. And Rocky. any of the first four Rocky films. Okay. One is aesthetically more pleasing. Mm-hmm. I would say that Michael B. Jordan is a better actor than Sylvester S- Stallone. I'm going to give you that. Carries He may not carry a film better because... Rocky is sliced alone, mm-hmm. but for the protagonist, that's you know meant to be the rise from the ashes hero type Phoenix character. Michael B. Jordan does a better job with that in the 21st century. Yeah, right. But in 1976 or whatever, mm-hmm. you know Sylvester Stallone was groundbreaking. That is the same universe. That is yes. All right. So better example. You're on track. Okay. I saw a Phantom Menace in the theater. My parents took me to see it. I was in ninth grade, so I was 14, mm-hmm. or I may have been in eighth grade, so 14 years old. I couldn't drive. I didn't have a permit, so I knew that I was of that age. I've never experienced Star Wars in the theater before. So Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Rise of the Sith mm-hmm. are special to me. Yeah, and I saw them on theater as well. I think I did Return of the Jedi in theaters. And you would have been a kid then. Yeah, yeah. Um, So they're special to me. Now, my brother who is 15 years younger than me, it has experienced all of the modern films, mm-hmm. including the spinoffs, except we punted on the Han Solo movie. But Rogue One, we saw all that stuff in theater. Mm-hmm. It's special to him. I don't think that it's fair to say that one is uh, better or, or worse than another. Do you know how many people I know that... Let's go back to the Rocky thing. Now. Mm-hmm. You know how many people I know that say Rocky Four is their favorite Rocky film. That's Ivan Drago. Right. That's that's a Cold War umbrella, mm-hmm. you know, plot steroids versus the clean athlete, even though I'm pretty sure that Dolph Lundgren and Sylvester oh, Stallone are probably totally injecting each other. <laughs> right? Yes. They're, instead of like Lucky Charms, they're steroids in the cereal. And I will throw uh, Brigitte Nielsen in that as well, probably. Yeah, because, Red Sonja. <laughs> yeah, so um, a lot of people think think that's the best of the Rocky movies. I mean, that's a popular opinion. We can open a thousand Reddit pages right now sure. on Rocky Four. Rocky Three is my favorite Rocky film. You don't get that one a lot. That's Clubber Lang. Right. That's Mr. T. Mm-hmm. You know why I like that movie? Because when I saw it, I was a kid. Mr. T and Hulk Hogan are in that movie. Right, yeah. Those were, I mean, here those dudes were heroes to me. I had Mr. T cereal. And I cheered for Hulk Hogan each and every Saturday. Like Thunderlips or what, what was he? He was Thunderlips. Thunderlips yeah. I am Thunderlips yeah. or whatever. But I saw Creed and I saw Creed 2 in theater, and I think that they're fantastic films. Yeah, I haven't seen either one. Dude, they're really good. I, I hear they are. I just haven't seen them. And they're, uh, they're films and not movies. Mm-hmm. Like there's some sort of emotional appeal there. Yeah. Now, Star Wars is different because it doesn't have that. Like 
for you to write off the first of the new modern trilogy, Han Solo dies in that movie. No, no. Like, that's The Force Awakens. Oh, so you like that one. That, to me, is my... That is, to me, the gold standard of the Star Wars movies at this point. I, oh, lo- I love that movie. Of all time or of the modern stuff? Of the modern stuff. And I'm even... you know, Starting with Phantom Menace. Yes. Okay, got you. Yeah, like, because because there's something about the way the acting is in Phantom Menace and all of those. The acting's just poor, mostly in those movies. And I just... Not a fan of that. You put the right director in there, and you get a totally different performance out of Natalie Portman. Because the only one, the saving grace to me out of those is uh, Obi Wan, uh, which is uh, what's his face? Ewan McGregor. Yeah, Ewan McGregor. Hayden Christensen is bad in those movies, and he's not a bad actor. No, he's a great actor. Well, I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman, to their defense, uh, were teenagers. So that but she had been in stuff before where she was really good. He had been in stuff before where she, where he was good. I think it's just bad direction. You know who else is bad in those movies? Uh, and he's one of my favorites. I'm not knocking him at all, but they are not your typical Sam Jackson performances either. Like even Mace Windu yeah. is acting is like he feels really rigid. Yes, very. That's a great way to say that too. Because so now you've got the uh, the Force Awakens. Love that from the moment. Kylo Ren stops that that laser blast. It's go time. It's you are in for something different at this point. Then Ryan Johnson does the the next one, and I don't remember what the heck that one's. Rogue called. One. No, that's not Rogue One. But you, that was the next movie. Well, I, I mean, like in the series, because Rogue One it was the was the placekeeper between Part One and Part Two of the new trilogy. Right. And it's it's the one where Ryan Johnson says that um, that uh, what's the uh, that Ray's parents aren't anything special and kind of ruins what J.J. Abrams set up in the first film and really does like this whole kind of side. The Last Jedi is the film that you're talking yes. about. That's the second in the trilogy. And actually, uh, just so that we don't get blown up by massive nerds, Rogue One would be a... The very, very first? It would be a prequel to it would the be, modern. It'd be in between... It would it would be in between the... the When Darth Vader becomes Darth Vader. Rise of the Sith. And then A New Hope. Right. Then you've got Rogue One. Because it finishes where A New Hope begins. Right. Yes. Got it. And that's, that's a film I only needed to see one time. I really enjoyed the film. But after, I'm like, I don't have to see that again. Literally everyone dies. You know, so I'm like, oh, okay. That's fine. They don't really give you anything to kind of hold on to when you're done, except this is the start of Star Wars. For a real Star Wars geek, though, you did get uh, massive intergalactic ship battles. Yeah. We hadn't had a lot of that, so just from an aesthetic standpoint. Totally down with all that stuff. But I do feel like the Ryan Johnson movie, and I think Disney really recognized the fact that he did not do an amazing job with it. Uh, He might have done an amazing standalone, and they're giving him a trilogy to play around with. Uh, so JJ's back for the new one, and I'm super excited for what happens in December to see how the guy who started the first one gets to finish up the third one when he didn't get to do the middle piece. You know, oh, fair enough. So now Kevin Feige's going to come on board, and I feel like cause he's he's done Star Wars discussions in the past, even before any of this stuff. And I feel like you got a really great visionary who's going to get in there who will put a right director in place with a right story to give us something maybe we haven't really seen before, which we may be getting here uh, in November with The Mandalorian. Yeah. Because that's Jon Favreau, who was the very first director of the very first Marvel movie, which was Iron Man. 
you want a, a Favreau tie-in off topic, Favreau too has used steroids for a film in The Replacements. Uh, but he used roids to to be that linebacker. Absolutely, really. I, well, the thing is, it's not like he was huge or anything. <laughs> oh, the track. Go back and watch oh, it, his dude. traps. He's got Goldberg traps. Okay, but well. anyways, uh, just to speak to everything you're saying, like I have a grand idea of what Star Wars is becoming now. Okay, Star Wars has lost its luster to me because. The idea of the world that Star Wars is in, this alternate universe where there is galactic time travel and there is warp speed and there are thousands of planets, you know, multiple galaxies, various alien races, and there are lasers that work in space. Like, the whole idea of that is really cool. And now that uh, Disney has, they're building the Star Wars world or whatever, and the theme park's going to open up. I think one of them's already open. It is. Uh, And I don't think it's finished, but it is open. Yeah. I think that they're missing out on the idea that the characters were just as important and just as beloved as the actual world itself. Now that there is an idea of whatever world Star Wars is, without Luke Skywalker and without Darth Vader, I'm somehow disinterested. And without Han Solo. And really without uh, Princess Leia now. So to come back to the Rocky thing, and how Creed is a film. It's not Rocky Balboa mm-hmm. stepping between the ropes. Right. And for some reason, that's in your head the back of the the whole time. It's in the back of your mind. You're sitting in the theater. You don't have the Conti soundtrack with the gonna fly now and all that. Mm-hmm. There's you don't have that training scene. You don't have Burgess Meredith in his ear trying to make him catch a chicken. Right. And there's something about that and the character itself and those characters from Star Wars. Like, that was the problem with Rogue One. Like, who's going to carry this? Who's going to carry this film? Yeah. Like, where's where's Luke Skywalker? And where's Obi-Wan? Mm-hmm. And, like, how does that exist without all of these characters who are just as important to the story as the world itself? You know that great scene at the end of uh, Last Jedi with the... Remember, there's the kid mm-hmm. with the broom, and the kid moves the broom, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh man, more Jedi's are out there. I don't care. Yeah, I, I I don't care. But I would totally love a Jedi film. Give me when when they have this scene uh, on whatever planet it is where Mace Windu gets to use his purple lightsaber, and everyone they're battling um, in that sort of arena. I'd like a whole movie. That's kind of old school, but looks looks like today's stuff. You got that movie, and that was Rise of the Sith. And, like, everybody knocked that. But the whole idea that there are dozens and dozens of Jedis and they're at war, and I believe there is one battle scene on Kashyyyk. That's yeah. the Wookiee planet. I want, like, a straight Jedi movie, though. Almost like, um, give me, even if they're problem-solving or something, like, give me one that's really about them. That's not, that I get, give me a born identity with some gosh darn Jedi's. Yeah, but do you care if it's not Yoda and Luke Skywalker, and you're just re you're just introduced to all these new characters? If it's cool, because that's the thing with Rogue One, like you mentioned, that's a good movie. It was well put together. It looked great. The acting was pretty good in it. And so, yeah, it's it's everyone likes that movie because of that. Though I didn't care about any of those characters going into it because I didn't know them, like them as it starts to develop. Greater point to that film, though, because there was so much space battle there and there's a rogue squadron. You know what we got? We got X-Wings. Mm-hmm. 
and they are characters mm-hmm. like the ships. Well, put that stuff in a Jedi movie. You know, put put familiar things in it. Heck, you could take it back and you can throw Mace Windu in it. You can put Yoda in it. It'll go old school. Star Wars never exists. George Lucas has talked about this. Everybody knows Star Wars was a New Hope. Mm-hmm. That was a later title. Yeah, that was a one-off film. Like there wasn't going to be a trilogy. That, he, he had written it though, right? He had written it yeah. to be that way. But there was no way that a major studio was going to pick this thing up and give it a budget. Right. Like that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's using cardboard cutouts and tiny models for like his space battles. You know, it's George Lucas, and there was this magic element there too. Mill Brooks spoofed the movie. Yeah, Spaceballs love it. That's transcendent. Mm-hmm. At the time, I know that Spaceballs seems goofy and cliche now, but for Mel Brooks to make a film where he spoofed your entire vision, that was huge at the time. Oh, of course, yeah, because that, that, that was an honor. Think of it this way. Like Alec Baldwin does Donald Trump on SNL. Yeah. Or... Will Ferrell did President Bush and, and Dana Carvey, and the, and the list goes on and on and on. Phil Hartman with uh, President Clinton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. course. Those are American icon characters that existed in three-minute television sketches on Saturday Night Live at 11.45 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mel Brooks signed off on an entire movie dedicated to spoofing that. That would never happen today. Yeah, it'd be tough. I can't think of the last... What was the last, like, spoof movie? Well, this scary movie series. Scary movies, yeah, yeah. But even then, they made fun of movies collectively. Yeah. Spaceballs is like, this is Star Wars. Yeah. This is our version of... Chewbacca's barf, and yes, Lord Helmet. And and that's... But that's a testament to the characters. Yeah. Because Rick Moranis is is Darth Vader. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, who played the Han Solo character? Oh, that was Bill Pullman. Yes, it was. It was Bill Pullman, and he and he is, uh, and what's her face is clearly Daphne Zuniga is Princess Leia. Yep, and there's the C three PO, which is Joan Rivers. That is Joan Rivers who steals the movie. And yeah. there's all these like uh, Bar- John Candy is a Chewbacca, which all, is Barf. All this Jewish uh, overtoned comedy, the Schwartz, which is fantastic. Yeah, and that would never happen now, but it's because of the characters mm-hmm. and not the actual universe itself. I do wonder if Ryan Johnson was supposed to kill off Luke Skywalker in that movie, according to J.J. Abrams' maybe overall plan, or if that was something he added because, like, this movie really needs this. And then J.J.'s got to call an audible for the new movie coming up. I don't know. We'll see in December. I am very much looking forward to it. Oh, me too. I, look. I'm pretty sure we're going to rent a theater out. I'm going devil's advocate here and just saying that I have this attachment to the first six films just because they we got a prequel mm-hmm. which we had to have you have to know where Darth Vader came from yeah like all that's imperative to the story and is even a carryover now like they're they're gonna wrap it's gonna be nine movies and they're gonna wrap the story but uh, there is a part of me that thinks that without Mark Hamill you know and then there's a, a bigger question there too BJ is was Mark Hamill good in the film? Was he good in The Last Jedi? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, it was fine. I thought his part was poorly written. I don't feel like it was on him. I just feel like the, the character arc was odd. Well, I think that's that whole movie, though. You know, like, the, I just, that, that movie to me, top to bottom, it just isn't the best. It's got good effects. 
it's clunky, whatever. So I kind of feel like let's just kind of glaze over that one and let's see what JJ does here in just a couple of months. And you know, then maybe we set it right. You know what else they didn't have? There wasn't the comedic relief in that movie. There wasn't enough of it. Like, Star Wars is famous for that. Yeah, they use those weird, like, ladylike creatures on Luke's planets. Oh, that he milks? The, well, no, he milks, like, some sort of a creature. No, like, they, they were, like, like maids or whatever. They, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. They, they use some of that. And they're, But they're, you're right, not as much comic relief. Like, BB-8 uh-huh. is the R2-D2 character. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly it's a different color and you're a different shape and you move you a can different roll. way. Right. You're R2-D2. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty clear that that's what's happening here. And uh, George Lucas was brilliant at using the droid-human interaction Mm -hmm. for comedy. Like, some of the funniest parts of the original trilogy are Han's interaction with droids. Mm -hmm. Like, Han Han Solo has no use for droids whatsoever. And he sort of has this affectionate you know, relationship with R2-D2 because, oh, R2-D2's useful and doesn't get in my way. Mm-hmm. He hates 3PO. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, he just... Yeah. 3PO is the analytical TPS report accountant that works right. at your office. Yeah. It, it, right, he's Lundberg. Get those done. And I just felt like that was missing. I don't know. I could talk about Star Wars for three hours, but so, I am excited too. Yeah, so, uh, and, and we won't get into this, but we have a lot of Star Wars coming away besides the announcement of Kevin Feige doing it with Lucasfilms and uh, Kathleen. Uh, you get uh, Ryan Johnson with his trilogy, which I don't know if you get a trilogy if the first one comes out and it kind of sucks. And then you also have the creators of Game of Thrones. They also get a movie. I think if it does well, maybe they'll get a couple more. So all that's coming our way. But I wanted to focus on J.J. Abrams a little bit for something that's not Star Wars related, that's not Lost related, that's not Cloverfield related, that is Marvel Comics related, and me saying a big giant kudos because last week, I guess it was, uh, Spider-Man came out. It is a comic that he and his son wrote. And I couldn't wait for it to come out. And it just so happens that there's some sort of a distribution problem to a lot of the Southeast. And the comic book stores didn't get their comics on Wednesday. They were able to put them out on Thursday. So I went Wednesday not knowing that, all ready to read that comic. And I got told, sorry, man, never, this never happened before, but we don't have the comics. So I had to wait an extra day. As soon as I got home, I opened it up and I read it. Now, I'm sure it's in your pull mm-hmm. bin, but I haven't read this yet. Uh, it's a six-issue uh, little miniseries that J.J. teamed up with his son to do. Because he would have been a, he had been approached before this about doing... Heck, we might have even mentioned on the podcast, on a previous one, when the news broke he was doing this comic. Uh, now that it's out, I loved it. I really did. Who's the villain? A brand new villain called Cadaverous is his name. Also, he's not gonna touch any real lore no and this for him and this is a total non-canon type of thing like this it's it, i'm not gonna i want to ruin anything no it's okay it's only one issue yeah so. but it it opens with a battle and then it jumps 12 years or six years in the future is it peter it is peter Mary Jane, and then the, the and then what happens after the opening of this? I did feel the book was very cinematic in a way too, to where uh, I think I think comic book writers lose sight of this because they have an overarching storyline that they're working with. 
So this one issue that a comic book writer is dealing with is only puzzle piece one of maybe five or 20. Or 70. Yeah, right. You never know. And so because of that, the writing in this one book is a little different. Now, J.J. has a story that is six issues long. So I think he does get to go. Books one and two is act one. Books three and four, act two. And then five and six, act three, because that's what you need in a movie. You need acts one, two, and three. That's how it works. And this really does open up with a scene that really brings you in. And then you're like, oh my goodness, what just happened? And then it jumps and then it leaves you at the very end wanting that next issue going, how long do I have to wait for this? Man. Did you get much Peter Parker? Yeah. Can he write Peter Parker? That's the hardest part for Spider-Man. It's a different Peter Parker. It's Peter Parker. But because of what's going on? Darker. Yes. I figured that's the direction he would go. It's a very different... Because because of... And this is what I don't want to spoil. Something happens in the beginning of this. And it changes the tone of the whole comic. And I... Mary Jane's dead. I loved this thing. That's what it is. Maybe it is. That's what it is. Maybe it's not. Well, either way, I... That's smart. Like, he's at least taking all the right cues because I feel like if somebody said, hey, Adam, you want to write Spider-Man? Yeah, absolutely. I'll do... I'm not doing six books. I'll do four of them. Yeah. For sure. Why not? That'd be fun. Yeah. But I've always thought that Peter Parker would be one of the most difficult, you know, superhero, real-life characters to write. Yeah. You know, Peter Parker's an interesting one because even, like, Absolute Carnage has, has been going on right now, and I've been reading that, and through it, because Amazing Spider-Man ties into it, though Venom is kind of the main tie into this, Spider-Man feels that all of what's happening with Absolute Carnage rests on his shoulders because the Beyonder pulled him onto that planet many moons ago back in the 80s uh, for Secret Wars. And as all these other super, you know, all these people are getting powered up, he ends up getting powered up with this symbiote, brings it back to Earth, uses it for a bit, then it becomes Venom, Venom, then it becomes Carnage, and then blah, blah, blah. So he feels like every death that happens with Absolute Carnage is on his shoulders. And I get that. It's, but that makes it kind of a brooding Spider-Man when I like the fun kind of throwing one-liners out, having a good time swinging through the streets of New York, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man besides the one that's like, it's all on me. Right, but you can't be, you can't make him a stand-up comic either, because I've seen it done the other way too. Well, I don't want that, but I'd like a good mesh. I really would. That's I, what I'm saying. It's so difficult because yeah. you can't, you don't want to err on either side unless you go the route that there's something. And this works for J.J. Abrams' book because they're only, I mean, it's a one-off. He's got six books. That's it, and that's why it works. So like, I really because you, I felt like when I was reading it. I know where I, I well I don't know where it's going but I know that it's going somewhere cuz sometimes you read a book and you're in the middle of an arc and then all of a sudden in the middle of the arc is a book about nothing and oh, that's a, yeah I call those throwaways that's a filler and I'm yeah. like what the, what is this like where's did someone miss a deadline and this is some rehash uh, oh that stuff drives me insane well this with Spider-Man 2 Another reason that that's a, a smart route for Abrams to take. I've always felt like Batman would be the easiest character to write mm-hmm. because Batman has been the same character forever and he's pissed off about the same single event that happened to him when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Peter moved on from Ben. Like he has a, a greater goal at this point. Yeah. And then he doesn't have one thing that he continually goes back to 
Because Peter Parker has always kind of struggled with the idea of he's going to stop being Spider-Man. Right. Like, Batman, yes, over the course of the last 75 or 80 years, he's been like, oh, I'm going to hang up the cow. You know that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Batman is always going to be Batman. But the idea that Spider-Man is, like, why am I even doing this? Doesn't that seem to be a central question for Spider-Man a lot? It's mm-hmm. like, why am I doing this? Yeah, because even right now, in the latest Amazing Spider-Man run, he's back with Mary Jane. Right. And now he keeps kind of flashing back to their previous times <laughs> and how they've wanted it to work before. And it, and did- it didn't because of it. He's Spider-Man. And that yeah. has been a, an arc that has been going on since the late 60s mm-hmm. or, or something. No, they did introduce a wedding ring in the last issue, I think it was, of Amazing Spider-Man. But now we're getting into absolute venom, uh, absolute carnage. And this is some of the things that I also don't like. You've got a really cool run going on with this new villain called Kindred, and something's boiling up right here. And then and then the potential ring here. Is he going to ask Mary Jane to marry her? What's going on? Or him? And then here comes absolute carnage. So the other stuff has to take sort of a back seat, but they'll still keep Kindred in it. Uh, for just to remind you, this is still what's going on. But for the next couple of issues, we're going to be over here. When you want to be over there, you just have to deal with it. I think that, and I'm familiar with that, like I'm caught up on that book. So if I'm J.J. Abrams, no, I didn't phrase that properly. If I'm given like a four to six issue Spider-Man run, I would have never thought to make Spider-Man dark. Like that mm-hmm. would have never occurred to me. Like yeah. obviously J.J. Abrams is on a whole nother level. Sure, yeah. I would have done. You know what my cop out would have been? I do a Miles Morales run. You may, or or you don't even do Miles. You pick a what? Can I just make up a new Spider Man? Cool. And right. You, then you take your favorite elements. Well, even Miles Morales isn't established enough yet. Yeah. I don't think to where there's this set of standards that you have to follow. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like with Miles, everybody, everybody that gets control of Miles Morales makes him slightly different than? Because I couldn't tell you what his personality is. Because honestly, I never buy those books. Not that it's not my Spider-Man, but you know, Peter Parker is the one that I gravitate towards, and. And there has been some stuff with the absolute carnage with Miles, and then I bought the first book of it, but not the second, you know. Uh, but I don't know him well enough to tell you really what his personality is like outside of what I saw in the movie. Look for Miles Morales in the next five years to become a massive player in comic book subscriptions and in a feature film. I think it's true. Because he, that video game that came out for the PlayStation is awesome. Yeah. Like, I beat that thing top to bottom. Like, I spent weekends on that thing Mm -hmm. where I was just like, I'm locking into this. Miles Morales is a central character in that. Doesn't don a suit. He just, Peter interacts with him through chance at some point. Okay. Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. He carries the movie. Yep. You know they're going to come back to that. Sure. And then with what happened with Disney and, of course, Sony, I would imagine at some point, we're going to get Miles Morales on the big screen. I think so. Yeah. And uh, now they're talking, the, I just saw a couple of things this week even, will we see Tom Holland in this upcoming Venom film? Because they're filming it right now. They're working on it now. So you could easily get him in there and make him a full-fledged character if you want, like a role in the movie, or you use him to either do a bigger part three, and it's Spider-Man versus Venom or Spider-Man, whatever. But I think if you do this point, they establish Venom as the hero. Yes, it's a hero who wants to bite the heads off of the bad guys. So maybe an anti-hero, like a Deadpool. You've already made him good. And I think they'd have the same problem that DC had with Batman versus Superman. Batman is good. 
Superman is good, but even gooder, he's better. But they're going to fight? That doesn't make sense to me. And it didn't make sense for the movie. Mm -mm. You know, it did, did not work. So if you establish Venom, which you already have, and you're about to do it again in the second film, Spider-Man's been established now, been, been seen in like four or five films at this point as the good guy. You really can't have them fight because Venom does good. Spider-Man does good. In our eyes, now that doesn't make sense anymore. Why does it not make sense? Because I would agree with that entirely for Spider-Man and Venom. Like if they do that... I have an eerie feeling that Tom Holland's career as Spider-Man is... As Venom? Oh, Tom Holland, sorry. Uh, it, I, I heard... Uh, Tom Hardy is what I heard. Tom Holland's career as Spider-Man is going to end poorly, almost in some sort of Tobey Maguire way, and it shouldn't. I, I feel like what happened with Disney is going to cause those stories to sort of fall off the rails. Sony's not equipped to handle Spider-Man, and, 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 I, and I love yeah. Tom Holland's Spider-Man. He's been my favorite so far. Mine too. Well, Tobey Maguire was my favorite through one and two for sure mm -hmm. and then something happened with three where it fell off the rails oh dancing why is it that because it feels like a very much sony thing to pit the two the venom anti-hero and spider-man hero against each other you know why because everybody's gonna buy a ticket mm -hmm. just like batman versus superman everybody's gonna buy a ticket and it's not gonna work why is it that the dark knight returns the comic book mm-hmm why does that work? Because it's set up better? What do you mean? Like, it works just from a standpoint of now it's the future and... No, no, Batman is good. Yeah. S Superman is gooder. Oh, for, for okay, I got you. Is the story just set up better? Superman works for the government. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think in that regard, it, it's just better established as to why they would be adversaries. But do you... When's the last time you read Dark Knight Returns? Uh, uh, 20 years. But you're ultra familiar with yeah. it, right? They didn't spend a lot of time establishing why Superman needed to be taken out. Mm -hmm. Like, why Batman needed to take him out. Did we, as comic book fans, know what was happening, like, inherently because we are so familiar with Superman? It might be, but also think that I think the medium is different. When you read a comic book, you've already done something and gone well beyond what an average person would have done at that point. The average Joe would never have bought that because they don't know the mythos of what came before any of that to even accept what's in those pages, no matter what those pages show us. The movie viewer, on the other hand, has certain expectations, I think, and what, I don't, this doesn't even make sense to me. What's going on here? Why is Batman old? You know, it would, it would be weird like that, I think. So I think we just accept it because we've already accepted the comic book. And we're like, any comic we pick up, we're like, you know what? Whatever's going to happen in here when I turn the page, even on this J.J. Abrams limited run, I'm going to accept it and let's see what happens. Either it's going to be really awesome or it's going to be really bad. Why, don't we don't, why, why would we not do that with film? Here's my point. How many Frank Martin comics? Frank Miller? Uh, Frank, how many Frank Miller comics do you think that you've read? So you've read... Uh, year one, probably, or at least know the plot synopses. I don't think I, I, I ha honestly, I own it. I have not read any of them. And Frank Miller uh, had additional Batman stuff as well. But the Dark Knight uh, Returns, I've done those. The trilogy, uh, yes. And, and then the fourth, the most recent thing he did, which is garbage. So bought them, read the first one, and was like, I don't even know what's happening in here. Okay. It was so hard to follow. I didn't. I have them all. Read the first one and never read the rest. That's my point. All right, Frank Miller, legendary yeah. comic writer. 
an all-timer. He's going to show up on the top 20 list, sometimes the top five list. Just mm-hmm. depends on who you ask, mm-hmm. right? He's written some garbage, some really poor comic books. And frankly, The Dark Knight Returns, that the original trilogy, is not good either. Yeah. That one book is incredible, right? This one? Yes. The mm-hmm. first book's incredible. Year one is widely believed to be the four-book origin story of Batman that everybody accepts. Okay. Like, that's canon now. Told in 1984, five, or six. It's one of those years. We believe that now. Mm-hmm. He's not a great writer. Yeah. But if he can make it compelling in a comic book, as a, as a subpar writer most of the time, then how can you put... What was the budget for Batman vs. Superman? Probably 150 million. That's what I'm saying. 150 to 200 million dollars. You've got that much money to dump into a script, and you can't make it work. Well, it's not going into that script. It's going into all those effects. And there's a write and a rewrite, and then a rewrite of the rewrite, and then it gets signed off on. Yeah, we like this here, Martha. Why did you say that name? I feel like I've done this podcast. I just get so angry about it, and I yeah. don't want to see the same thing happen to Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, we don't. You know, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Do you have the Batman movie on your list? Of over there of stuff to talk about? No. The Jonah Hill. No. I, well, we could definitely bring that up because there's so. Right, so if, if if no one heard, reports are coming out, and maybe there's been even more reports, but at least as of a day or so ago that Jonah Hill is being tapped to play a character in the new Matt Reeves' The Batman movie, which will be starring one Robert Pattinson. My first thought was, because he's supposed to be playing a villain, that's the that's the word on the street. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> and I even said this on my newscast the other day. He's Cobblepot. I said the penguin. He's Cobblepot. And I was like, I'm sorry, but your weight does fluctuate from time to time. And maybe you're big, maybe you're small. I thought you'd be the penguin. Who else could he play? It's the pain. Well, that's where my brain went to, and I couldn't think of anyone else that he could play. But then I'm like, man, you're doing the penguin. I, honest to goodness, I wanted the Riddler to be this movie. I did too. Because this is supposed to be the greatest detective movie. Now, maybe he, who says the Riddler has to be some skinny guy because that's what we've seen the whole time, right? That's true. Maybe he's really good at riddles because he's lonely and uh, on the plus size. And he's got a lot of time to spend at home coming up with riddles and murder plots. But I think we all had the first thought. It's gonna. It's probably going to be the uh, the penguin. By the way, did you hear too? Not, I want to come back to Jonah Hill and what this movie is going to be about. But did you hear that Pattinson has seen the suit? Mm-mm. And that there were like subreddits that pictures of the suit had leaked? No. I haven't seen it. I looked everywhere and I couldn't find it. Yeah, no. And Pattinson did an interview with Vanity Fair or... Mm-hmm one of these groups and or one of these uh, magazines and he said that putting the suit on automatically turns you into Batman. Yeah. He said it was unbelievable. I bet. And it was the real deal too like you can't move his neck. Yeah. I mean it's the real Batman suit. Yeah. And it, he said it turned him into another person immediately. He started talking like this. I hope not. I don't know what we're going to get out of Pattinson. I'll, what do you think about the Jonah Hill casting? Uh... All right, I'm fine if Jonah Hill is in this movie. My kind of thought was, ah, Penguin, again? Eh, come on, we, we saw it. It's Danny DeVito. Or Burgess Meredith, who just got his second mention on this podcast. Yes, that's right. Hey, good for us. Sal Maroney. 
Do you know Sal Maroney? No. The Maroney family? Crime balls? Sounds like I would have heard it in the show Gotham. Uh, probably. Mm-hmm. It is a Batman villain that was introduced in the 40s. Okay. Runs a crime syndicate in Gotham. Yep. You could certainly go that route because Sal Maroney is a long time uh, Batman villain. Okay. You could also do what if you went out of the box and you did Killer Croc? I'd see. I don't think you do that for this. I feel like Matt Reeves is going for a total different tone here, almost like a noir detective movie that happens to be Batman, who can kiss, kick ass, and take name. Maybe he can kiss ass too, uh, and you know, and fight and solve stuff. Once you throw Killer Croc in, who's in um, would be like uh, the Suicide Squad anyway. Right. Um, you you now have turned it into a comic book movie. I think the idea of this is to be more like a born identity where Batman will do amazing hand-to-hand combat stuff while figuring out this bigger story here. So if you do a Riddler, or even if you do the Penguin, then you can have a little bit more of a cerebral villain because it's not like the Penguin's going to kick your ass, but he'll come up with something pretty you know, crazy out there for you to have to solve. There was a great Detective Comics run from New 52 okay. early that ran parallel to um, the Scott Snyder run Mm -hmm. in Batman. They had a huge, probably 10-issue run that involved the Penguin and his crime syndicate. When I've read those comic books, anytime I've ever read a a Penguin-centered Batman comic, I don't read it like Burgess Meredith or Danny DeVito. I've never done that. Like, is it... The penguin doesn't carry a gun and say, I mean, that's so stupid. He just happens to look a little bit like a penguin. Right. And I don't even know where I'm at on the Tim Burton. He was raised by penguins and is deformed. (laughs) (sighs) You should be nowhere on that. Right. Like, I don't even understand that part either. Like, for the Tim Burton thing, Batman Returns works. I love the darkness of that movie. I love Christopher Walken in the way that uh, Tim Burton shot the movie just from, like, this weird gothic... Mm-hmm. Postmodern, whatever. But what if we get Jonah Hill as Oswald Cobblepot, who is just known as the Penguin, right? And he's like a crime lord, right? And he's incredibly ruthless. Yeah, I'm okay with all that. I just don't want him. I don't want him to do what you just said. Give me some salt, you know, sardines. Right. Well, that you remember Danny DeVito would eat. Yeah, yeah. He would literally eat raw fish, yeah. and it's like, well, he's not. Yo, Tim, he's not actually a bird. Yeah, and he was also, like, very albino-ish with, like, his coloring and all that stuff. How about he had to live in, like, some kind of artificial iceberg? It was, like, the whole thing. He had, like, climate control issues. You get Jonah Hill if he—he's got to play the Penguin. Who else is he going to play? Well, they've already named Commissioner Gordon. I saw saw that, too. And it uh, is—oh, I'm at to Google it now. I'll tell you who he could play. What if he's Calendar Man? So I'm not very familiar with Calendar Man. You sounds like to me, you need to brush up on your Batman. Lore. I'm. I was always. Oh, it's uh, Jeffrey Wright, by the way, who is the new Commissioner Gordon. Jeffrey Wright is uh, incredible in uh, Westworld. Yeah, he's good in like everything he touches. Uh, I started off as a Marvel guy, so when I started collecting comics in the '80s, it was almost exclusively Marvel, and then I really didn't start a couple of DC books here and there just because who knows why. And it wasn't until maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years ago that I really started to dive into, like, DC stuff. So some of it I picked up just 
by Googling or Wikipediaing, but beyond that, I don't know a lot of the history. All right, so Calendar Man, basic redneck character breakdown for me. Calendar Man is serial killer. Okay, I like that. Heavy set. Okay. Completely, I mean, this dude's living his life in Arkham Asylum. I mean, he's he's gone mm-hmm. mentally. But everything he does has always been based around the calendar. Uh, is in at Halloween. Okay. His murders would be Halloween themed, as in they would be evil and, okay. and dark. And it Chris Val- Valentine's Day would be lovely. Uh, like it was one of those deals. Okay. It sounds goofy now because when the character came out, which I want to say would have probably been early sixties, maybe. Okay. But they took when they decided to take Batman Dark. I guess, what, late 90s or something like that in the comics. When they decided to take Batman fully dark, Calendar Man was kind of reinvented as also being way darker than, you know, just a guy that killed right. on holidays. Yeah. Okay, so think of it as like a Red Dragon or Buffalo Bill, where okay. he's just a serial killer that I like, has this... I like that. He has a fascination with a particular thing. Like okay. uh, Buffalo Bill was the, the moth, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Red Dragon had his thing or whatever. I can't remember what his deal was. I don't remember. But anyways, yeah, it's just a themed serial killer. I like that. I'd be okay with that. But can you do new villain in in a Batman movie? Why not? Well, I mean, Bane was. To the well, no, I guess he showed up in uh, that terrible Arnold Schwarzenegger Batman movie. Yeah, Batman and, and Robin. And another thing too, Marvel, you can't use that as. You know the reasoning why Batman could have a new character. Marvel was so successful with Iron Man and and Thor and, and all the movies that led to the Avengers that they were just like, well, we're making, we have a straight cash flow right now. Yeah. Now we can throw Ant Man out there and see what sticks. True. And DC doesn't have that. They don't have that luxury. You know they. Wouldn't you say that DC has to make this Batman film work? Oh, absolutely. They have to make this work. They have scrapped. Everything else, like mm-hmm. Justice League, that's not happening. No, and they've even gone so far as to say that none of these movies are connected anymore. That's right. Uh, they are greenlighting the Flash movie, finally. They have uh, a director who's on board with that, a different director who's on board, and it's uh, pretty someone pretty decent. So, like, that's going to be happening now, but it's not going to be one that he's going to show up and see Robert Pattinson. They're not trying to do that anymore. The second Wonder Woman comes out this Friday. Let's say that hypothetical alternate universe. Are you excited about that at all? It's okay to say no. Well, I don't know until I see a preview, to be honest with you. When you tell me that Cheetah's the villain, I am not excited by that. Am I excited to go see Gal Gadot? Absolutely. She could sit on a stool for the two hours, and I'm going to go see that in theaters. Well, check this out. No, okay, I understand. But, like... Maybe three, four months ago, you came right here on this podcast and you said, I'm doing this deal where I don't watch trailers anymore because I don't want to be led into mm-hmm. whatever the story's going to be. And Wonder Woman is DC's franchise film right now. They're banking everything on that. And you just told me if it's coming out Friday, you're not going unless you've seen the trailer. That's why Batman has to succeed. I think so. I, th- I think you're right there. Because I'm skeptical of, of who they kind of chose to throw in there. And what that means when you could have when you could have gone in so many different directions. And I did find the the Flash movie director is Andy Machetti, which uh, Machetti Machetti I don't know how you say it, which may not sound familiar. He's the guy who did uh, It Chapter Two, 
So he did it and chapter two. Yeah, but with the Flash movie, what are we getting there? Is it Gorilla Grodd? Is it Captain Cold? I mean, come on. I don't know. Captain Cold? I know. And they've, they've worked that into the series, and it worked for how they did that. But now you know, Captain Cold into being a good guy in the thing. So I just feel like DC or Warner Brothers has to tread lightly, like you're saying, and just they they can't hit singles they got to hit triples or better. You're either hitting a home run or or maybe it's go home for the next set of films. Well, another problem, too, is what Heath Ledger and Christopher Nolan did with the Joker. Because now the Joker film's coming out. Now there's this controversy around the Joker. Should it come out because it's glorifying being a villain. Right. And, and then there's all this associated with that. But you can't put the Joker in another Batman film. You just can't do it. Now, the Joker has been played, as far as I'm concerned, iconically three times. Cesar Romero, mm-hmm. a Jack, yep. and, of course, Heath Ledger. And you just can't do that movie again. It's I With some space and time, you can, but you got to nail it. you got to crush it. And will, will they do it again? Absolutely. You do Court of Owls. To me, you do Court of Owls. Like, that's the movie. Could Jonah Hill fit into that? Because I have, I have not read Court of Owls. I know. We've already established I'm, you I'm behind. You didn't well, read... Well, I wasn't collecting it at the... I wasn't collecting those at that time, and I, I, don't, I don't have the trade paperback on it. Like, I went back and I did Hush. And I thought Hush was awesome. All right, so Court of Owls... Court of Owls is a movie. So you run Court of Owls, you do that story, and you run like all the way through 20-whatever issues that was right up into uh, Death of the Family, mm-hmm. where Joker's face is ripped off. You do all that. Yeah. You go right up into that run. If you're not familiar with that either? No. Didn't read Death of the Family? No. Wow, dude. Yeah. Well, now I'll make a list. Here's what you should do for me, and we can, and maybe on the next one. Make me a list of the definitive... Batman trade paperbacks I should have because if I went back to buy the comics I'm, I'm going to spend too much money I have Killing Joke you've read I have Killing Joke I actually have that and I had that I have the third print from the like back when it came out I've had that for 30 years Long Halloween nope never heard of it Gotham by Gaslight nope is that where he's uh, that's not uh, that's not the like um, steampunk version of Batman is it uh, it's not quite steampunk but it is like okay. 19th century. Yeah, no, I haven't read that one. It's just, just uh, take that part out of it in your mind. Mm-hmm. That's the art direction. It's a very much a Batman story. Okay. Uh, Nightfall. You've read Nightfall. I don't think so. You haven't read Nightfall? Oh, is is that the trade paperback where it's like the sit, like there's like a city and then the 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 bat symbol is on Batman's chest, kind of done. I look. I have the comics. I don't have oh. the trade paperback. That's where Bane breaks his back. I don't think so. Then that's Christopher Nolan's entire. I mean, I know that part, yeah, but like, I know I don't think I have uh, read that. Well, you've at least read Killing Joke, and yep. we established earlier you read Dark Knight Returns. Yep, I've got those. I will tell. And, and don't don't leave out Hush. I just mentioned Hush. Uh, Hush is incredible yep. too. Hush is, you know, on that list. Mm-hmm. How about how about this? You need to take a break and just read some Batman stuff. Not because I'm biased and because I grew up reading Batman, but because. You're missing out on all timers. Oh yeah, I definitely don't have Nightfall. You don't. You've never read Nightfall. No. Yep. But now I've got some stuff I know I can go get. Keep our comic book store and keep the lights on. Okay. 
But the difference is, like, if you hit me up with some X-Men junk, man, I got you covered. I'll have to remember that. Yeah. So that that I have you covered on. Uh, one last thing before before we go. I saw this and I got excited. And I know that I feel you. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you haven't. I saw this last night. They're remaking Clue. I don't want you to get upset or not about that. But who's remaking it and who is probably directing it is what got me excited. Have you have you heard the news? I haven't. Maximum Effort Productions is doing the movie. Okay. Which that is Ryan Reynolds. So Ryan Reynolds is starring in the new Clue movie, and his buddy, who will also be in the movie, just won an Emmy for Best Directing and will also direct the film, and that is one Jason Bateman. We talked about this the other day. I don't know what role either are going to play. They've got to get Michael Caine to be the butler of that yeah, house. And, and maybe, maybe they know that. Maybe they make that happen. Because he would be perfect for that. He's the guy that can pull that off. Or we did say Tim Curry could come back and do it. <laughs> yes, that would not be good. Would you be excited to see a movie like that? I will 100% go see that film. I love... You have this thing for Ryan Reynolds because he's I Deadpool. Do. Man, I, even before that. I mean, heck, I, I don't mind the Green Lantern movie. He's a great Al Jordan. The parallax and all that stuff, terrible. And some of that stuff... But I, I didn't mind him in that movie. I just like I liked him in the gosh darn Blade Trinity movie. I'm okay with that. I just like Ryan Reynolds. Though I will say the movie The Change Up with Jason Bateman and Ryan Reynolds is hard to get through. It's a hard movie to watch. Van Wilder is going to be Clue. Yeah. What role he takes, I, I don't know. Oh, would Ryan Reynolds be a great butler? But he's not British. He has to do an accent. I don't. I don't think Ryan Reynolds does accents. I also think you have to do it as a period piece because Clue works in that time that it's set in, mm -hmm. but it also has that weird thing going on where you don't know if it's 1955 or 1980. Yeah, like you can't really tell. Because do butlers really exist today? Like you perceived back then? I feel like not. Like I. I don't think there's. If I was a billionaire, they would. Yeah, but I, I just I, I feel like it doesn't exist in the same way for whatever reason. When I think of those people, I think of like bodyguards and stuff. Nah, like that. dude, I guarantee you that they're. I, I figure a fleet of maids, senior citizens, mm -hmm. like old school, the like the Bouvier family in the Hamptons. Okay. I guarantee you, they got people named Alfred working at the house. <laughs> if I'm rich enough to get a butler, I'm hiring him, and I'm changing his name to Alfred. Oh, okay. I will pay you enough money when I ring that bell and say, Alfred, you're coming, and you're all right with you. I'll say, yes, sir. No, I'll have the Alfred. You'll have Jarvis. Okay, I will take that. I'll get that Marvel connection. So look forward to maybe some clue action and some more news breaking on that. Maybe you heard it here first. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you tell people who you know who kind of like us. Let us get bigger and better. And as always, thanks.